Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. There is good news in the case of Laura Elizabeth, held for two years for their participation in the 2020 uprising in Philly. In a recent statement, Laura's support team wrote, On Thursday, July 28th, Senior Judge R. Barclay Surick of the Eastern District of Pennsylvania sentenced Laura to serve 30 months in prison, followed by two years of supervised release, and to pay restitution for two counts of civil disorder. Because Laura has already served over 25 months at FDC Philadelphia, and with credit for good behavior that she has earned during that time, this ruling means that Laura could be released from detention as early as this fall 2022. We will let you know when we have a firm date for that release. It will be a time for great celebration with Laura, her family, and community. Judge Surik's sentence falls far below the four years sought by government prosecutors, and even below the minimum time suggested by federal guidelines for Laura's charges. His decision was informed by 50 letters of support from Laura's community, witness testimony to Laura's life and character, an impassioned defense by her attorneys, and ultimately by a stirring allocution statement by Laura that brought many of her 40 supporters attending in the gallery to tears. Earlier this year, Laura entered into a plea agreement with the government that would reduce her charges significantly from arson charges that carried mandatory minimum sentences of seven years each. In a 2021 report, the Movement for Black Lives and the Creating Law Enforcement Accountability and Responsibility Project at the City University of New York called Lore's charges a shocking example of prosecutorial overreach to disrupt and suppress the movement against police violence. My name is Keith Lamar. I'm a death row prisoner at the Ohio State Penitentiary in Youngstown, Ohio. In 1995, I was sentenced to death for a crime I did not commit. According to the state, I was said to have participated in the deaths of five inmates, inmates who were suspected of being informants. When I refused to become an informant myself and refused the state's offer of a plea bargain, I was prosecuted and prevented from presenting evidence of my innocence, even the statement from an actual perpetrator who admitted to killing someone for whom I was ultimately convicted and sentenced to death. I'm innocent. I didn't kill anyone during the uprising, and the state knew this. And they knew it because multiple witnesses came forward and pointed the finger at someone else. But because I was vocal in my criticisms of them and the way in which we were treated before and after the uprising, they decided to make an example out of me. And now they intend to kill me, strap me down to a cold gurney, and pump poison through my veins. I intend to stop them. Indeed, inasmuch as my life is not for them to take, I intend to fight them. And if you believe in my plight, I hope you will join me in this fight. Not just to undo what was done to me, but to undo the injustice of a system that is too often used as a weapon against the poor, against nameless, faceless individuals whose story we would never know or hear. Let's fight them together. Justice is not a privilege, it's a right. People are being killed who could be saved. Supposed to drown, right? When the real old you down, you're supposed to drown, right? Wait, 
You just heard Keith Lamar, also known as Bobani Shakur, a prisoner on Ohio's death row. He's facing execution in autumn 2023 after being framed in prison due to his advocacy for other prisoners and his refusal to snitch on others in the aftermath of the 1993 Lucasville uprising. He's consistently expressed solidarity with other Lucasville prisoners and has engaged in struggles for his rights, especially his ability to communicate with the world outside the prison walls. This week, Lamar went on hunger strike to protest the policies of GTL, a private prison phone provider that we've covered before, and the prison's denial of his phone access. He won his demands on the third day and suspended his strike. We're proud to share these reflections from while he was still on strike regarding his current situation as well as an entire history of struggles for dignity, communication, and survival. Here he is. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm right in the beginning stages of a home strike, as you know. But um, um, things haven't had a, the red zone yet, so to speak. So I'm, I'm doing fine, yeah. Good. Well, today I would love to talk to you about your hunger strike, about GTL, maybe if you would like to speak about conditions on death row currently, um, and really any, anything else, anything else you'd like listeners to hear. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the hunger strike is because of this GTL tablet. You know, we're being forced to you. We were given these tablets from about two years ago. And, um, phone, stream music, stream movies, read books, everything that theoretically you can use, um, you, you, you have access to with, with an iPhone or whatever. But of course, you know, this, as with all the corporations that, you know, feed off the prison system, you know, the products are real shit. You know, uh, subpar products. There's no accountability, no competition, so there's no one else we can go to if we don't like GTL's product. You know, but, but, pri but prior to um, GTL um, handing out these um, tablets, I and about two other, three other prisoners here that are on death row had access to cordless phones, which, are, which is pretty much um, as stable as the landline I'm talking to you on right now. And so um, the GTL tablet, after the first month of troubleshooting, it worked. It worked fine. Um, you know, there was some surges here and there in terms of because it's a Wi-Fi signal, so there was some surges. You know, um, doing calls here and there, some drop calls, but not enough to rise or to the level of irritation that it is now. You know, um, uh, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm convinced, and I could be wrong, that the people here have uh, uh, control of the signal whether or not it's weak or strong. You know, over the past two years or so, Meg, you know, um, 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 I've been receiving a lot of publicity around my case because I've been issued the execution date. Because it has, you know, we've written, you know, the New York Times has written an article, Cincinnati Inquirer has written an article. There's been, you know, um, you know, publication in various news periodicals. There's been an album. There's been, you know, talks and concerts and everything that we've been trying to do to kind of like elevate the profile of my situation so that we can bring more people into awareness of what I'm going through and what, you know, uh, the state is uh, threatening to do to me on November 16th, 2023. So we've been doing everything we can. And, you know, of course, in my being on death row in the Supermax facility, the phone is one of my main conduits that I can, you know, uh, contact and my family, my friends, and the public. And so, you know, it's not like a small thing not being able to talk on the phone. 
you know, and so this is the reason why I've, you know, taken a drastic measure of going on a hunger strike, yeah. Would you like to talk any at all about your previous experiences doing hunger strikes? In 2011, after going 20 years without touching my family and, uh, you know, dealing to the ward and uh, filing complaints, uh, even the civil suit, which lasted for eight years, after which the judge decided that uh, he couldn't uh, um, grant us relief. We went on a hunger strike and achieved in 12 days what all of those years couldn't achieve. You know, because it finally dawned on me that my not being able to touch my family was between me and my family. Not between me and the ward, not between me and a judge. It was between me and my family and how bad we wanted to, you know, be able to hug each other. So, you know, I uh, told them that I was going on a hunger strike and, you know, asked for their support, which they gave. And we achieved in, you know, less than two weeks what two years, 20 years couldn't achieve. And, you know, that really kind of changed things for me in terms of, you know, me being able to utilize my own agency. I wrote a book called Condemned, which was derived from the smaller pamphlet I had written, um, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, uh, with just the bare bones of my situation. And, you know, I wrote a full length in there with a documentary. And, you know, so it's been a lot that we've been trying to do somewhat belatedly, but uh, hopefully, and enough time to kind of, you know, turn this thing around. You know, going on hunger strike is it's a grueling process. I mean, uh, once it actually starts, you know, technically the prison isn't um, entitled to acknowledge the hunger strike until unless you miss nine meal. So, you know, three days you have to go without accepting the uh, prison uh, food. And on that ninth meal, you you declared officially on hunger strike. I um, uh, will reach that point tomorrow morning. I will be officially on hunger strike after missing missing my ninth meal tonight. So you know that will activate the process with somebody here from the administration. Would then come to speak to you, and you tell them what your issues are, and they will you know uh, tell you whether or not um, they uh, have the uh, capacity to. Uh, address your claims, you know, whatever they might be. This particular issue has already been adjudicated, so to speak. We went on hunger strike back in 2015, asking for use of cordless phones, similar to uh, what was being used by death row prisoners at Chillicothia. And uh, since we had already been granted full contact visits, closed box food box consistent with the privileges of prisoners on death row in Chillicothia, you know, we were granted used to uh, access to the cordless phone. And I'm just asking that that uh, privilege or that access be granted again, since I'm having so many problems with this GTL tablet. The GTL tablet, I don't know how familiar familiar you are with, 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 that, with that corporation, but it's just a real predatory corporation that's selling these products to prisoners, desperate prisoners who, you know, particularly here in, in, in the Supermax, where guys spend up to 23 hours a day in a cell, you climbing the walls with boredom, with the monotony, and, and having a phone, which theoretically you can watch movies, listen to music, so on and so forth, you know, is ideal, but, you know, it doesn't work at all. You know, it, it's not something that I'm making up. It's not something that I'm exaggerating. You know, it's a piece of phone. We've been exploited. 
you know, and, and the people who run this place don't seem to have a problem with it. I mean, you know, there's not that money that's being wasted. It's not that time that's being wasted. And, of course, you know, none of them are sitting on death row with an execution date. So there's no urgency until you inject the urgency into the situation. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really feel that the connection to GTL and, and these the exploitation of, of prisoners through this new, you know, if you can even call it technology. I mean, it's like, seems like you're the unceremonious nature of the switch over to a tablet from the phone that you had fought to win. I don't know, it's like really remarkable to me. It seems very related and, and obviously non-coincidental that things would will shift so quietly but actually the effect is extremely loud and extremely um you know it has a profound effect on 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 the life of inmates on death row and other other places i'm wondering what you're expecting with your conversation uh with the administrator after your ninth meal is refused tonight well it's hard to know you know initially whenever i'm going on hunger strikes the initial reaction is you know adamant no you know um uh, but you know um this is something that has already been adjudicated, something that has already been settled on. It's in writing. I'm technically entitled to have access to a cordless phone. So uh, this predated the GTL tablet. So as part of my privileges, I'm allowed to, you know, uh, access to use the phone up to eight hours a day. Of course, I can't. I'm right now speaking to you from a phone that's uh, in the red cage in the area where guys take their recreation and it's a phone that's similar to the pay phones of, you know, the old pay phones that used to be on the corner of every street out there in society. That kind of phone, so the, the, the connection is somewhat more reliable. The only thing I'm technically asking for is to have use of a reliable phone. You know, um, I'm not even complaining about the dollar I'm being charged to talk for 30 minutes to make a local call some places. They'd be, you know, guys are being charged $15. So in that sense, I should feel lucky, but I don't. I mean, we're being exploited. The only difference is degrees, the amount of grief that's being put on the dick, you know, that these people are, you know, using to f around. It just gets old after a while. I'm 53 years old. I'm tired of this shit. I mean, on top of that, I have an execution date. I don't have a time to keep playing these childish games with these people. So it's just out of frustration and just, you know, you know, we just, you know, just being fed up. And, you know, a few days ago, they came into my cell after finding a cord that, you know, technically or theoretically, according to them, could be used to charge a cell phone. And they ransacked my cell, you know, stripped everything, took every all my property and ran it through these scanners, then found, then, and, and found no contraband. They sent me through this high-power x-ray machine with no protective covering and, found no contraband and you know I'm just really really pissed by that just by the idea that you would be willing to go to such lengths make sure we don't have a phone which you deem as illegal and I don't see the same effort when it comes to making sure that the phone that you are supplying us with that we are paying for being exploited to use that you don't have the same urgency in making sure or ensuring that that phone is a, is a working phone you know you know, so it was just, you know, having my cell, you know, ransack, you know, and and, and, and and having to spend four hours putting everything back where it belonged. You know, in that four hours, it just occurred to me, you know, this, this is bullshit. And so, you know, I went on a hunger strike out of frustration, out of just, you know, just, just reaching
my limit of just dealing with this pettiness. And, you know, you know, it's just it's just it's just too much sometimes. Like, you know, you when you're trying to, you know, because but this is not like an easy thing. You're asking people to take time out of their lives to, you know, to make calls that you shouldn't need to call to make. And you know, um, and so this theoretically is robbing me of the energy of the support that I might need in the future. You know, I'm, this has already been settled. I have the paperwork. I'm already entitled you know, to have access to this phone, and yet I'm going to repeat the same steps over again and waste, you know, precious time and energy on something that's already been, you know, uh, uh, agreed upon. So you know, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yes, of course. And I really admire your decisiveness in, in deciding to do the hunger strike. I mean, it's not an easy thing to come to because, like I said, you know, uh, it requires, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, your friends and family worrying about you and all those things. And it, and it, and it, and it injects a kind of different energy into the campaign. You want to keep, you know, being awful. You want to keep, you know, uh, people in a positive uh, frame of mind. You know, you know, because, you know, then, you know, the work that needs to be done is done with, you know, urgency. And, you know, but when you're on a hunger strike, it turns, you know, the energies, everything become, becomes more dire. Well, not negative, but becomes more dire in a way that could be detrimental also in the long run in terms of, you know, you know, you know fatigue and whatnot. You know, I mean, I'm angry about it, but, you know, I'm willing to stay the course because, you know, having a phone is not a small thing given my situation and given what I use it, you know, you know, paying all this money because I'm fighting for my life. I don't have money to pay for an attorney. I don't have money, you know what I mean, to hire a PR firm. You know what I mean? You know, I'm poor. You know, and, you know, and the dollar that I'm spending for the half hour that I get to talk to my friends, family, or journalists, you know, it's all I can afford. And so it's important that I be able to do that unimpeded, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've accomplished so much through a phone. I hear you, and it's no small task. I mean, you've accomplished a lot with very specific, you know, technology, tools, instruments, books that you have like really fought to gain and really used to such a such an incredible, incredible extent. I think that's one of the, the one of the problems that they have with me. Uh, you know, I mean, they gave us these access to these things, private. <laughs> probably never imagining that they would be used to the uh, degree that they have. You know, but that doesn't then give you the um, the right to then deprive me of the privilege. Of course, I'm going to fight for my life. Of course, you know, I'm going to use this phone as a weapon. Of course I will. But you, you, you shouldn't have a problem with that. The weapon that you should have a problem with is if I had a knife or a gun, something that could do you harm. I'm using it as a weapon so harm won't be done to me. I don't have a knife, I don't have a gun, I don't have a weapon that, you know, means to harm anybody, you know, around me. And the fact that I'm using these things that you are, you know, charging us all this money to help me in my case. I mean, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't exploit me and then tell me how I to how I am how I am, how I am to, you know, accept being exploited. It's just like somebody raping somebody and telling the person that's being raped that you can't scream. I don't think you have that kind of control. And whatever reason that you have, you know, to, you know, subdue me and, you know, do something to me against, because all this is being done against my will, of course. I'm being held against my will. You know, I'm not here out of the, you know, uh, out, out of my own volition. 
I'm being held here against my will, no different than somebody's been held down on the ground and violated. I'm feeling the same way. I feel the same way about it. I mean, so you can't control the fact that I'm screaming, that I'm trying to, you know, resist what you are doing to me. And so, you know, um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep. Yeah, of course. Well, is there anything else that you would like to speak about? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things GTL is just one corporation. It's, it's various corporations that are now feeding of the prison industrial complex. Things that I think people in society need to become aware of that, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar um, operation. And they're making in excess of $100 billion a year off of um, mass incarceration in this country. You know, um, and it's, it's something that, you know, I think need to be really, really talked about and educated on, you know, like what's going on in these places. Because if you're making $80 billion hundred billion dollars off this place and we're not talking about people we're talking about commodities people who have been reduced to things when that's the case then the whole society has been dehumanized because of course we're connecting you can dehumanize somebody without dehumanizing yourself in the process so if you turn people into things we all pain this is the reason why all of us have to fight against this 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 thing that's happening I first came to prison, man, you know, your family could send you food and clothes from home. It was about rehabilitation. That was about warehousing, about, you know, predatory, you know, practices that, you know, extract the meager uh, means that, you know, that poor people have. I mean, people that's on the street are barely making it. So my family don't have a whole lot of money. If my family had money, I would have an attorney, a paid attorney. Instead of these, you know, these jobs that I've been, you know, uh, forced to, you know, forced to take on a rep representation. You know what I mean? You know, people who are beholden to the very people I'm trying to overcome. You know, so, that, you know, this whole thing about the criminal justice system, I mean, that's, that's a misnomer. It's not a criminal justice system. It's a criminal system. Justice you have one minute remaining. You know, that's, one that, that's, you know, that's something that people, I think, need to become aware of. You know what I mean? Because until we find our way to a human path, to paraphrase Richard Wright, you know, all of us eventually are going down the same dream. And so if we want to avoid that, then we have to, you know, get involved, get engaged in what's going on in this society that we live in, one of the richest societies in the world. And we close this episode with two other segments from our earlier episodes on Bomani. First, we have his thoughts from our 2016 episode, followed by a statement he wrote in 2019 in response to his execution date being set. We'll have a link to the full 2016 episode on our website. People benefit from the way things currently are, you know, the status quo. You know, a small, you know, group of people benefit from, you know, all of what's going on. And so it's going to take just normal, everyday people like you and I, people who, you know, for whatever, you know, uh, to whatever extent live in different worlds. Like I'm talking to you from a cell on death row, you know, and yet we're making this bridge, we're building this bridge to have this exchange. And so you might not be so fearful of somebody like me.
And so, you know, and I might not be so fearful of somebody or you I'm talking about your intentions, your expectations and whatnot. And so we just have to have, you know, build these bridges, meet somewhere in the middle and have these conversations, you know, and somehow acknowledge each other's humanity. It seems like that's the obvious way to kind of like, you know, do something about what's going on to build, you know, you know, you know, these kind of societies that are cooperative as opposed to competitive, you know, in order for you to have, you know, food on your table, somebody have to starve. We have to, you know, kind of get away from that kind of, that get away from that dichotomy, you know, this or that, and, you know, really, you know, try to work. And I, and I don't really have an answer on how actually to do it, but, I, you know, I know that even in here, you know, where you have all poor people, guys that are here for prison, you still have these kind of, you know, hierarchies. You know, you have some guys who are treated better than other guys based on the crimes for which they were, you know, sentenced for based on the amount of money that they were able to accumulate from their family and friends and whatnot. And so, you know, until we can just see people as people and treat them, treat people accordingly, nothing really is going to change. Hello, everybody. I'm sorry that it has taken me so long to respond and say something about the recent news regarding my pending execution date. To be perfectly honest, I've been floundering a bit, trying to find my footing. I wrote a response to the AP's announcement, which I thought was a bit premature on their part. I mean, the actual date is the news, not the state's request. But it is what it is, I suppose. Of course, I've had quite a few years to get used to the idea of my eventual demise, eventual no matter how it happens, and so the news came as no real surprise. I try not to spend my time lying to myself. I've been on death row for 23 years now, and so things were always tending to this. Still, waiting and actually arriving are two different things. Now that I am here, so to speak, I thought it best to pause and take a peek inside myself see what it all means. And what does it all mean? Well, for most of us, it means what it has always meant. The strong do what they want, and the weak suffer what they must. So yeah, I've been doing my share of suffering these past few weeks, going through bouts of extreme anger, and, I'm embarrassed to say, wallowing in deep sadness. But why sadness, when I've been caught in this trap for 30 years? I mean, I really and truly hate this place the horrible food, the constant clanging of the keys, and the sheer senselessness of it all. And yet, the thing that truly saddens me, and upsets me in equal part, is the thought that on some as-yet-undetermined date, these people will force me into a gurney and call it justice. And it's this, the whole calling-it-justice thing, that opens my eyes each morning. I can't allow them to do that to carry this thing out as if it's legit. I mean, kill me if you must, but call it what it is, murder. So you see, I'm caught up in the throes of some very powerful emotions at the moment, trying to marshal my strength and focus in order that I might be able to rise to the occasion. It's going to take me a little time to gather my force, to get my feet under me, and I ask that you all be patient with me and not doubt the depths of my convictions. I have my finger on the thread of something very powerful, which, if properly pursued, will show the system for what it is. This whole system is a sham, and we have to come to see it for what it is. There's nothing behind the curtain, 
or under the skirt if we're talking about the Lady of Liberty. It's just a group of old white men pulling levers. Until we see that, until we understand that the only way home, freedom, is through confrontation or facing our fears, we will never discover who we are. And maybe it's true to say, as some have said, that it's too late to save ourselves. Maybe it's the destiny of mankind to destroy itself, in which case, this civilization will perish like all the others. However, in the meantime, it is the job of thinking people not to be on the side of the executioners. So yeah, I intend to do my job. I just need a little time to think, and I hope that you all will join me in this thinking process, and that we together can figure out a way forward. To the bitter end, Bomani Shakur. This has been KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.